Hey friends, welcome to Girls Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today is my new friend, Lisa Bevere. Now, if you are not familiar with Lisa, let me just tell you, you're going to love her. When I think about what it looks like to be a strong Christian woman, Lisa is one of the very first women who comes to mind, and that's exactly why I wanted to have her on the show today. And really, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about why we need strong Christian women and how to be one. This topic is so important to me because as Christians and as women, we're encouraged to be a lot of things, but strong isn't always on that list. Or if it is, it seems like everyone has a different definition of what strong is supposed to look like. Have you ever experienced this? And sometimes we aren't encouraged to be strong at all. We're not encouraged to speak up or step up or to bring our full selves to the table. We're encouraged to be smaller, quieter, to hold back, And I think when we do this, the world is missing out on so much. And so that's why I'm so happy to have Lisa here with us today. Today, we're going to talk about what it actually means to be a strong Christian woman and what that looks like played out in our lives. We're going to talk about what to do when we meet resistance, people who think we should bring less of ourselves to the table, not more. And that's seriously just the beginning. Lisa shares so much wisdom with us in this episode, and I cannot wait for you to hear from her. So you guys ready to dive in? Here's my conversation with Lisa Bevere. All right, friends, I am super excited for who I get to introduce you to today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Lisa Bevere, who you're going to love. Like, I just off the bat, I'm going to say, you're welcome. She's amazing. Um, Lisa, (laughs) thanks so much for being here. You are adorable, and I am so excited to join you. Um, So for women who aren't familiar with you, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact? Yes. So who I am is a, a woman minister. I travel and speak. I want to see women be everything God created them to be. I've been doing that for 30 years. I was doing it way before it was cool. I was doing it back when it was awkward and weird. So <laughs> I am the mother of four men. I have sons ranging from 34 down to 25. And then I am the grandmother of four as well. So I have a uh, two grandsons, two granddaughters. So Asher, August, Lizzie, and Sophia. And I, I love that. And I am part Sicilian. So I am kind of a G mama. That's like my grandkids call me G mama. That's amazing. And then we decided just to take it a little further since I want to see God's daughters be everything God created them to be. That I've just thought, okay, Sicilian. And have this passion for God's daughters. I'll be a godmother. So we just put it all together and have been having fun with it. Fun fact with me, I love to recreate doing things that can possibly kill you. So I went paragliding last month, which you just basically run off the edge of a mountain with someone behind you going run, run, run. Amazing. I have a motorcycle license and uh, I will host whitewater rafting this week. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Lisa, that is amazing. That is paragliding is that's that might be one step too far for me, but that's I think it's, I think it's less scary than skydiving, right? Well, I mean, I okay, like I haven't technically done that either, but I guess I guess my like uh extreme sports claim to fame is that I have rafted the Nile and it was what? 
very Ooh. scary, but very fun. But yes, yes. And I definitely <laughs> got knocked out of the boat. And I'm thinking that the whole time I'm out of the boat as I'm trying to climb back in, it was, uh, I think the whole way I was trying not to pee my pants and like my, you know, my knuckles are white. And, but afterwards it was really awesome being able to yeah, say I did it's, that. It's bragging rights. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's <laughs> awesome. I never would have known that about you. I love that. Um, well, so that actually really leads into everything that I want to talk to you about today, because, you know, when I think of you, Lisa, I feel like you are such a great example of what it looks like to be a strong Christian woman. And I wanted to ask you about this topic specifically, because I feel like historically strong isn't something we're always encouraged to be as women um, or as Christian women. And so I guess kind of kicking it off, like, do you see that? And what are we encouraged to be instead as Christian women, do you think? Yeah, well, I I do think that the perception of Christian women and strong is a disconnect. People, people don't, they think Christian women, submissive, doormat, stupid, can't think for themselves, Bible thumping, uh, don't want to ever have sex. I mean, they have like all of these like uh, horrible, overweight, don't wear makeup, bad hairstyle. I, I, I mean, there's all these stereotypes that are really sad. And I don't believe any of them are God ordained. You know, when we look at how God really starts to introduce women, you see these women, these covenant women, first of all, there's Sarah, and they're trying to put her in a harem at 75. So I don't think that she was frumpy, dumpy, you know, she, it, she was a woman who was a pioneer. She said, okay, I'm going to go on this great adventure into the place of nowhere. Like we are, we are looking for a place that we don't know. And, and I, so I see Sarah as this adventurous woman. I see Rebecca. She's like, oh, wait, do I want to just leave my family and everything I know to go off with some guy I've never met, Miriam? Sure, I'll do that. Again, gorgeous, people trying to put her in a harem. So we have, we have these strong women who know who they are and are willing to risk everything on God. And so I think that somehow religion, not, not Christianity, but religion has diminished women. And, you know, my heart is to, for women to know that God created them as an answer to be embraced rather than a problem to be controlled. And a lot of times the church has said to women, you are less than, oh my gosh, we would be in the garden if it wasn't for you. You're the one. We don't want to give the woman a voice. Well, it was God who gave the woman a voice. It was God who said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he had Adam name everything so that Adam could find out that he was lacking that intimate other, that one that was a complementary reflection, not a lesser but a complimentary reflection of who he was. And it was Adam and Eve. They were never supposed to like use their voices against each other. Like, hey, shut up women or shut up men. Because there's a lot of shut up men now because it's our turn. No, we're both supposed to use our voices united on the serpent and say, it is written. And so I think a lot of times it is easier to control than to contend what God actually created us to be. You know, John and I are both very unique, very strong individuals, and it is better that we do it together, but it is harder doing it together. 
Do you think that, so I didn't grow up in the church. I, I became a Christian like very yeah. end of college. Yeah. I didn't know that, like, I didn't know some of the blame that went around about, about women, like, you know, blaming women for, for, I don't know, the fall of man or like, you know, there just is so much. Yeah. I feel like blame and shame that has been heaped on women that I didn't even know about until, I mean, I feel like now I have girlfriends who are sort of contending with some of the messages they were given when they were growing up. And like, I didn't even know that those were a thing. Where does that, when did that start? Do you know? Like, and what are some, I guess some women are probably asking like, what are those messages? And I feel like I just kind of butchered them because I never heard them growing up, but what are some of the messages that we are or have kind of historically been given as women and where do those come from? Well, I think we are constantly being sent a message that it's kind of what I already said about women. They need to be controlled. They need to be contained. They need to be only teaching children, only teaching other women. Uh, they, they need to actually just, you know, like we keep them over here where we can minimize the damage that they might cause. And I, I don't know how much of it is myth, like Christian myths, you know, the whole idea that Eve was the one that caused the fall is actually, uh, it actually flies in the face of what New Testament scripture says. New Testament scripture says that through one man's disobedience, well, Eve's not a man, that's talking about Adam, and then through one man's obedience. And so a lot of times we, we look at what's going on, but you have to remember when Eve ate, nothing happened. It wasn't until Adam ate that the fall happened. And so the, it's, it's an interesting dynamic of what's going on. And even when you're looking at uh, some of the things, that it, when God says, all right, I'm going to put enmity between the woman and the serpent. Well, if God puts enmity, which means I'm going to make the woman and the serpent enemies, which side did he just put the woman on? His side. <laughs> on his side. Yeah. He just said, this is the enemy. And he said, okay. And he said, what did he say? He said, your seed is going to crush his head. That's God saying, hey, woman, over here, I'm going to partner with you to bring forth life. And even though it looks like a mess right now, there's going to come a time that your legacy is going to crush the head of the serpent. Now, we know that that legacy is Jesus. And then I love, I just, this is what I love about God. On purpose, he weaves crazy women into the lineage of Jesus. He's got Tamar, who sleeps with her father-in-law and gets pregnant. I mean, that's crazy. Then we've got Rahab, the harlot. That's like Rahab, the harlot. But she was in Jericho, a, a city, a city kind of almost city nation destined for destruction. But Rahab understood something. She exchanged the fear of judgment for the fear of the Lord. And she hid the spies and she became one of those righteous. And then we see what goes on after that is we see Rahab's son, Boaz, Mary's Ruth, a Moabitess. And God was like, kill the Moabites. You know, they can't even be around us. There is something about when people capture the heart of God, they lean in and they get to something more. David was the same way. He would do things that were completely unexpected. And then Jesus walking through the fields, you know, doing this with the grain and they're eating the grain and the, they're going, what are you doing on the Sabbath? And he's like, I feel like you guys got this all wrong. The Sabbath is for man, not the man for the Sabbath. I mean, so God is constantly flipping things, disrupting things. And God always meant male and female 
to be a power union, not a power struggle. So it's a power union in our marriage. It's a power union around the table. When we're talking about uh, problems, man and woman bring something better together. I, John and I watched, just watched a documentary kind of slash movie, and it was about Paris Paris and Marie Curie. Yeah, I've and, seen that. I, I, I wanna, I've yeah. seen the ads for it. I really want to watch it. It's really good. It's really good. There's, there's a couple of things you have to kind of fast forward through. But John and I both looked at each other and we said, wow, they had multiple Nobel Prizes. And we believe, we believe it's because it wasn't just a male perspective or just the female perspective, but the two together, seeing the same thing in a different light brings strength to both. And that's why I think the houses of worship are always the most healthy when they have the voice of a father and the voice of a mother. And so, you know, we need to have voices of women, not women trying to act like men or men trying to act like women, but men have the, you know, the entitlement of, hey, you, this is who you are. You have a father nature. You have a man strength. And then the woman, I am entitled to be a woman and I have a feminine strength. That is my God-given title. And that's been bestowed on me. And so I think we've lost a lot of our feminine wonder. I think in our quest to be like men, we have lost the beauty sometimes of the most powerful things of what it is to be a woman. So what is it? I think that sometimes when we think about being a strong woman, we feel like yeah. we have to be really outspoken or we feel like we have to be the center, like enjoy being kind of the center of attention or enjoy the spotlight or be really like loud or something. What, what are, what are, what does strength look like? Like, does it come in different brands and what are some of those like brands, I guess? Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that strength comes in as many brands as our individuals. I mean, some women are strong in a very quiet way and other women are strong in a loud way. And it's not right to tell the loud women they have to be quiet or the quiet women they need to be loud. God is actually, God actually likes our personalities. Now that doesn't mean we are abrasive. That doesn't mean we're harsh. That doesn't mean we're uh, condescending. That doesn't mean we're passive aggressive and we're quiet. It just means that God works with our personalities. And so sometimes being strong is being quiet. Sometimes being strong is speaking up. You know, I've had to actually uh, be in so many situations because I feel like I've been a pioneer where I've had to speak up, not because really it was on my behalf, but on behalf of my daughter-in-laws, on, on behalf of my spiritual daughters, on, to, on behalf of girls like you coming up. I don't want you to have to have the same conversations that I've already had. And, you know, so if I can have these conversations in a way that is wise and winsome, not shaming, but wise and wisdom. What does it say? It says she opens her mouth with wisdom and kindness. And those are two things that, you know, when you've been oppressed, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. You want to be like, heck no, this is enough. But you just always can lean in and say, Holy Spirit, what is going on? Teach me how to speak, to be quick to listen, hear what's really going on, slow to speak and slow to wrath. And so that is kind of in my, my passageway and, and, you know, understanding that you'll make mistakes, but also understanding those are even every mistake is an opportunity for growth. Mm. It really, I really appreciate it. I, I like that a lot. Um, you know, 
you you mentioned this kind of at the beginning that you know we're taught that women are only supposed to teach children or we're not supposed to speak up in church and and like I mean I've read the passages where it talks about women not speaking up in church and I think a lot of us have or we've heard them in different ways and I think depending on who you're listening to you're going to hear it taught differently and so I would love to hear your perspective on on that like on on like what is it are we not supposed to to teach what does that mean all the prohibitive scriptures are to the Greek churches and the Greek churches had no teaching. And so what they were saying was, and actually I love how Eugene Peterson and N.T. Wright. So these are both scholars talked about that. It said, rather than the women being teachers, let them be learners right now. So like, this is the season where the men are learning, the women are learning and they need to learn together. They don't need to have these conversations at church. They need to listen and they need to learn together. There's even things about head coverings and people like women can't talk unless they have their head covers. But if you look at the whole parameter of Greek culture and see, it's it's interesting because it's kind of this two-edged sword. So people will try to take, say, oh no, the scripture is the scripture and it never changes according to culture. Well, But we're actually superimposing our culture on these scriptures because, number one, they didn't meet in pulpits. So it doesn't make sense to be like, women can't be in a pulpit. They didn't have pulpits. They had home churches. You know, number two, they didn't meet on Sundays. So there's a lot of places like women can speak everywhere but on Sundays. No, they met every day, house to house, okay? (laughs) And women did speak. Greek women of good standing wore their hair up. If you look at all the Greek statues, you see they have their hair up ornately. There's braids, there's pearls, it's all up. So Greek women of good standing had their hair up. Now, it's interesting that scripture says, is it not a shame for the men to have their hair long? Well, see, that's what made me actually start to look at that because I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not in the Hebrew culture, not in the Jewish culture. Samson had long hair. Jesus had long hair. John the Baptist had long hair. Wait, where was it shameful to have long hair? What was shameful to have long hair in the Greek culture, because men with long hair were were homosexual prostitutes. So they wore their hair long to say, look, I am available for sex. Women that wore their hair down were also saying, I am available for sex. Women that were adulterers had their heads shaved. So the people that were supposed to wear head coverings were the women that refused to wear their hair up or had their heads shaved. And it was all about, and it's because of the angels. Well, do you think do you think me putting a book on my head stops the angels from seeing something? That's just ridiculous. What they were talking about is when we're in a position of worship, we shouldn't be advertising sexual availability. Okay. So, yeah. So it's and I I covered it a ton in the Godmother's book. I just you know I got so to be honest with you, I got so tired of hearing about it. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna throw it out there. And then about. Uh, the women not teaching or preaching. It, it's very interesting. It was about the, it was about a time of learning, but we're not, you and I, we're not first century Christians. We're not Greeks. We're not biblical illiterate. We're not, we're not in that time. And it's very clear that in the book of Acts, it says in the last days, God's going to pour his spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters, male and female, old and young. So anything that was kind of a, parameter for the early church is no longer a parameter in the last days church. 
That's really, really helpful. I think, yeah, we, we don't want to change scripture to, to like fit our culture, but it makes sense that a lot of the things that were happening were specifically culturally related. Like a lot of the, I know that a lot of the like Levitical laws and stuff, a lot of them were like, this is unclean. Like, this is going to make you sick. Like you need to wash this way. We have no refrigerators. Yes. (laughs) Don't eat this because you actually, it, it will make you sick and die. And, and so a lot of the things that, I don't know, I feel like we look at them like they're these overarching laws yeah, they and there are, are some things like that. Yeah. They're prohibitive to be protective. Mm-hmm. And now if it's not necessary to be protective, it's not necessary. Yeah. And, and it's very clear that, you know, that vision that Peter had was don't call unclean what I've cleaned. And that was both the food and the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. I really like that. You know, I know that there, we come uh, into moments where we want to be standing up as our full selves as women as much as we can you know we want to show up tall and strong and and but we we run into both men and women and even like kind of institutions where or like you know we always do things this way that want us to to tamp down some of that strength like what do we and i know that you've experienced this like having gone ahead of us for so long what do we do when we when we come to a place where we're trying to show up as our full selves and that, and people want us to be less. You have to be your full self, even though other people aren't going to be happy about it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Take a sip real quick. Maybe. Being less than who you are, doesn't it just never honors God. And it's actually living a lie. You know, David, his brothers wanted him to be less. When he showed up and he saw what was going on and he saw an intimidated people of God. And then he saw an intimidating enemy, this Goliath, who was defying. He looked around and he said, is there, is there not a cause? But intimidation came and said to him, oh, I know the naughtiness of your heart. Oh, where did, who did you leave those few sheep with? Like basically saying, you don't have any contribution. What you do doesn't have any value. But David had already won some private battles. When the lion took the sheep, he took the he took the sheep back from the lion. When the bear took the sheep, he took the sheep back from the lion. He'd already had some private battles. And so when you've already had some private battles and then you take what you hope will be a victory and a release to other people public and people say, no, 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 we don't want that. You just go on and you because it said David kept kept talking and then. It came to the ears of the king. And so you just keep honoring and offering what you have. And God will make sure that it comes to the right ears so that when you're in the right place, it'll happen. And, you know, like, listen, it's, it's hilarious. People think, you know, people think that it's just like a snap your finger and everything happens. But battles and hardship is how we actually gain authority in the spirit. Rejection by people is actually where we find our strength and acceptance from God, where we say, you know what, God, I was hoping everybody was going to be great with this, but at the end of the day, I'm going to honor you and you're the one I'm going to follow and obey. Talk more about that private battles thing. Like, I just, I just need to hear more about that. Like, what does that look like in our lives? What, how do we, because I just feel like there's some women sitting here going, I think I'm facing some of these private battles and you just like gave gave purpose to it. And I just want to like go there further. So talk to us more about that. 
Absolutely. Well, I'll just be 100% honest with you. I think that my ministry began the day, the day that I said, God, I have this horrible problem with anger and I want you to excavate my life. God, it's, it's coming up in my marriage. It's going to come up with my kids. God, this is destructive. Now, I didn't think that that was an invitation to the ministry. I just knew that it was a displeasing thing. So I said, God, I want everything out of my life that is destructive or displeasing. And so when I did that, now all of a sudden, the worst couple months of my life happened. Like, I mean, it was manageable before that, but after I prayed that, I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't want this to happen. But see, often something will get worse before it gets better. And it's a refining in our life. You know, so my husband, my husband's like super smart engineering person. He always talks about how when they refine gold, what they do is they turn up the heat. And whenever the heat comes up on the gold, then the dross or the other metals or alloys will come to the surface and you can skim them off. So when you go through a hard time, whether it's, man, you've just had way too much time with your husband or way too much time with your kids, or there's a financial challenge right now, you actually find out your weaknesses as an opportunity to make them strengths. See, I've learned I am not who I am in the pulpit. I am who I am in the fire. When the things are not going my way, that's my weakest link. You know, if I flip out here or flip out there or cower here or withdraw there, that's an area of weakness that I have an opportunity to say, all right, I don't like this. I'm going to actually ask God to make it strong. And so I think there's been a lot of hardship and hardship again is something that we don't say, oh, I love hardship. But I've learned that I grow in seasons of hardship more than I grow in seasons of ease and popularity. So hardship, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, if there's a quote, it says, struggle is strengthening. Mm -hmm. So when you go through it in your marriage, the struggle can either strengthen your marriage or you can say, this is too hard. You can have the hard conversations. You can struggle with some conversations that maybe you didn't have in the past that you needed to have, but now you can have. It's going to be a struggle, but it will be strengthening if you just stay the course. And you know, I feel like right now is, is a time of a reset for a lot of us. Like what what was I trusting in? Was I trusting in this or was I trusting in that? Did I, in all of my busyness, was I neglecting the things I should have been giving my attention to? And now I, I don't, I don't like these things, but here's a gift that I get to actually pay attention to this. And, you know, God promises to meet our needs, but sometimes people have confused their needs with their wants okay. and, you know, he adds things, but we're not supposed to pursue things. If that makes sense. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. 
Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing. That is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. I've gotten to see this a lot lately. It's it's fun because today as we're recording this, I actually had a book come out this morning. 
It's It's called the between places and it's a prayer journal. It's a hundred days to trusting God when you don't know what's next. And um, my husband and I just walked through like a two year journey with infertility. And as you and I talked about, I'm like pretty pregnant at this moment, which is just wonderful. But as I was, you know, walking through that and reflecting on God's faithfulness and just like, how do I know he's faithful and wrestling with that again? And like, God, who are you? And who do you say I am? And like, and how how do I know I can trust you and all these things? I, I got to look back on on lots of different times when I really struggled with different things, when I didn't have any idea what was going on and nothing was going my way. And I just got to see like in my own life and in everyone else's life as I'm looking around, when you've gone through something really hard and you press in and you like keep trusting God and you keep and you learn the lessons and like let things change you, then you become like that fashions you into the exact person that someone who's going to go through that thing later needs you to be. Like you get to be the guide for that person. And so I love that, that like the private battles that you go through, these things that really stink in your life. Those are the things like as I was reflecting and writing this book, I'm like, those are actually some of the sweetest, most important, most impactful things of my life. The hardest things have I've been like God's used them to make the biggest difference. And it's just really cool. It's kind of like this. Like right now, I'm definitely skinny fat. I mean, I have not been working out the way I should work out. But if you want, if you want to develop muscle, you have to bear weight, which Mm -hmm. means you've got to actually fight against something heavier than you want to do. Most people, they want to run on a treadmill. They don't want to actually hold up something that's heavy. And so when you go through weight training, it says it builds your bones, it builds your muscle, but we have people that have been busy. And when you're busy, you burn your muscle rather than build it. And so when you go through a hardship, you build muscle and it's kind of an assessment of your strength. So I love that you took the time to write because there's so many young women struggling with infertility. That was never that was never an issue for me, but I had an eating disorder. Mm. Uh, I lost an eye to cancer when I was five. I don't know if you know that. So this eye, my right eye is plastic. So I grew up from five years old on being called one eye, being called Cyclops, being made fun of. My dad is, um, he, his first generation coming over Sicily, dire, dire poverty, refugees. First language he had was uh, Sicilian dialect. His dad died when he was 10. You know, so so I grew up with an alcoholic father. My parents got divorced twice. All of those things that were meant to break me, they actually broke down certain things and God remade me. And, and that's like, if you're going to actually build strength, you got to actually break down the muscle to build the muscle. And I think too many people, they want to be warriors, but they don't want to battle. They, they want to be heroes, and they don't want to battle. And some of that has been our culture. Our culture says, oh, likes on Instagram makes you a hero. No, it doesn't. It makes you popular. And when you're popular, you'll have to play to the people for the rest of your life. A warrior is somebody who is always fighting for others. You're not a warrior if you're just arguing with people all the time on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Those aren't warriors. Those are mercenaries. Those are people that just want to fight. They just love, they just love to fight. They just love the thrill of the attention of fighting. But it takes more strength 
to bless those who curse you, to do good to those who despitefully use and abuse you. Now, we're not saying stay in an abusive situation, but we're saying, hey, I'm going to do good. I'm going to, I'm not going to curse you. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to forgive you. And forgiving doesn't mean restoration. You know, so we don't restore people to bad, unhealthy situations, but forgiveness means I've been forgiven of what I don't deserve. So therefore I can forgive people when they don't deserve it. Lisa, when we're in a situation like, I mean, oh gosh, I feel like when, when, you know, our, our parents are getting divorced or when we get a bad diagnosis or when we, when we have these things like that you mentioned happen to us and in our lives, how do we, where's that fork in the road? Like, how do we recognize that moment when, is it a moment? Is it a series of decisions to, to choose to be like, to let those things build us up instead of those being the reason that we crumble and, and never get back up? Well, you know, I remember when I first became a Christian, my, um, my, my father in particular was not happy about it at all. So he just cut me off of everything financially. And I remember I was sleeping on the floor in a little uh, one-room efficiency apartment. I'd gone from my sorority house where I had unlimited spending to now I'm sleeping on the floor in a one-room efficiency, you know, and and all I remember saying was, I cast my cares on you because you care for me. God, I cast my cares on you because you care. That was all I could get out. That was all I could get out. And, and then I remember I went to church and somebody... Uh, all the cars, cars in the parking lot decided to slip my four tires. And, and I was like, really? No, no, I am poor. And now my tires are slipped. And God, little by little, showed himself faithful, showed himself faithful. And I have found him to be faithful when people disappointed me. And so it's, it's one of those things where my parents were divorced, not once, but twice. And when you put your faith in a person, it, it can be taken. I mean, it can be shaken. It can, you know, you can lose those things. But when you say, God, you know, I love my parents. I wish they'd stay together. But God, you're faithful. See, people's ability to be faithful to me has nothing to do with God's ability to be faithful to me. And, and I have learned that you can plant in one field, maybe for years, plant, 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 and then see a harvest come up in a whole nother area. Because anytime we plant words of kindness or acts of goodness or financial seed, no matter what, that seed leaves our hand, but it never leaves our life. It, those words of goodness and kindness and faith and love, even though they don't make sense in the moment, they go out. You know, God says he watches over his word to perform. It. And I think in times of hardship, that's all I can hold on to was God, I know that you're faithful and your word says, whether it's, it's financial need, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. God, I, they're going to make a way where there seems to be no way. It may look different than last year's way, but God, you will make a way. And so understanding, you know, we've been saying it. He's the way maker. <laughs> he's the miracle worker. What else is he? He's the promise keeper. What else is he? He's a light in the darkness. We have people that all they do is talk about the darkness but what we're supposed to be as a prophetic sons and daughters and old and young is we, we, we say, yeah, there's, there's darkness, but let's prophesy the light at the end of this tunnel. Let's move us through there. Let's not look back. Let's look forward. 
God is so amazing. He says, forgetting what's behind and straining for what is ahead. That what is the ahead that we would know him, that we would know him as he knows us, that we would be transformed into his image, that anything in my life that holds me back from him would be removed so that I could be 100% his. And I really believe that God wants us completely free so we can be completely his. And too many people are like, I'm going to be free and I'm going to be my my own goddess. I'm going to be my own self. That's a bunch of nonsense. You know, that's, that's God didn't give his son to die for you, for you to be selfish. (laughs) That's just not the way it goes. When like, we're talking about, you know, these moments of heavy lifting and, and that they can build strength in our lives. And sometimes those moments happen to us. You know, we don't see them coming. We wouldn't have asked for them. And we get to decide whether to sort of engage or shut down from them. But like, right. if there are women listening who are like, I want to be strong. Like, I want to be a strong Christian woman. Are there some like practical things that they can, like, what does it look like to to lift weights in, in, our, in our lives? Like, how do we grow more into strong Christian women? One of the best ways to gain strength is to pray for those who have hurt you. I think it's one of the hardest things you can possibly do, but that is heavy lifting. When you pray for those who have hurt you, when you pray God's goodness on them, instead of when you want want to just hit them, when you love people who are hateful, again, that's a way of building strength, building muscle. When you love your husband, you know, that's, that's, that's something that actually it says the older women are to teach and train the younger women to love their husbands. You're going to have these beautiful babies and you're going to think it's so easy to love babies. It's harder to love a husband than it is to love a baby. So you have to train your children and love your husband. And so just loving your husband, what is, what does that look like? Well, that means to believe the best of him. We love other people the way that we wish we were loved. So we do good to those who have done evil to us. We pray, the Bible says that we pray for our leaders. Well, I didn't vote for this leader. It doesn't matter. You pray for your leaders that you can live a godly and peaceful life. So we pray for people outside of ourselves. I think that is one of the key things. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time praying for themselves, for their own focus. But God is so about relationships that he even talks about in the Bible, that if you're going, and we we all have different altars. We like we don't have the altars they used to have, but you know, I have an altar. My altar's back there in that corner, that little chair that you can see. That's my place I'm gonna sit and pray and read my Bible, listen to worship music or journal. So when I'm at my altar, when I'm bringing my offering to God, and all of a sudden I remember that somebody's upset with me. See, I never have any problems remembering who I'm upset about. <laughs> But when I remember that somebody might be upset with me, maybe it's somebody I just haven't talked to in a while. When I remember that, I usually think, well, that's an interruption. No, that's showing how important relationship is with God. So that brings me to my second point. Strength happens in community. It does not happen in a vacuum. It does not happen in isolation. It happens when we are connected to other women, to other believers. We have to have a connection. And then there is that dynamic of iron sharpening iron. That's a strengthening factor. We've got to find people in our lives that are going to ask us the questions we do not want to answer 
and tell us the things we do not want to hear. But these are the kind of friends who care about us. You know, I, I have the privilege of speaking into the life of a number of young women who are incredibly anointed, incredibly gifted, much like yourself. And, and they'll call me when they've got a problem in their marriage or they'll call me when they have a problem with their kids. Uh, they aren't calling me asking me how to get speaking engagements. They're calling me because they know I'm safe, but they also know I'm going to tell them the truth. And sometimes they'll call me last. Like sometimes <laughs> they'll have, have already like everybody else's opinion. Like everybody is saying this, what do you say? And I'll say, well, do you, do you really want to hear what I want to say? Like, I, you know, I'm I, like, you can, you can go with this, but I'm going to tell you over here is where you're going to gain your strength. And see, that's something, Stephanie, that only comes by me. I'm 60, by me serving God for almost 40 years, 40 years. I've just learned you got you got to have women in your life who are where you want to go. So you can talk to your peers about certain things. You know, oh, my husband drives me crazy. My husband drives me crazy. And then you're all like, yay, we got crazy husbands. And you're, you're glad you're not alone. But that didn't move you to a solution. Right. And so like you need to ask, you know, you need to have an older woman who listens and then says, all right, what's going on? Why, why is he, why is he acting like that? What do you think is going on? Well, I don't know. No, yeah, you do. Why, why do you think he's acting like so? Well, then if you don't, maybe you need to ask him. And here's what John and I do, or here's what I've done when I've had a problem. Because we've got a lot of people crashing and burning in their private lives when they look like public successes. You just wrote a book called Godmothers, which I'm so excited about. And I feel like you just showed us why we need godmothers in our lives. But I think, I, I feel like everyone is thinking this right now. Like, how do we find someone to be our godmother? Like, what should their role be in our lives? And how do we find someone and like... What if they say no? I don't, I don't know. Like what does that look like? These are all, no, these are great questions. So first and foremost, there's a desperate need. There's a huge need. And, And I decided that I would write a portion of what I knew so that I could help like close these gaps. And, you know, when you have this, uh, the concept of a gap is a very fascinating thing. A gap is actually a break in a wall or a breach in a military position that leaves both sides vulnerable to attack. So now we've got young mothers and then we've got old women and there's been a breakdown. There's a gap between the older women and younger women. And what I have, you know, when I get an opportunity to talk to women your age, they tell me, they say, I, I, I can't find an older woman. I can't find, like, who, who do I go to that will talk to me? And then I've got the older women telling me, these young women, they, they think they know it all. They don't want anything from me. They, you know, they're too busy. There's too cool. They can download everything. They can blog, you know, whatever. And so what we've got is we have the older women thinking nobody wants what they have. And then we have the younger women thinking that the older women uh, can't be bothered. And so what we have to do is close that gap. Now, it's going to be awkward and it's going to be have to be intentional. So like, for example... I'm so committed to this. I started a podcast called The Godmother. I've got the book, Godmothers. And and it's how to be one and why you need one. It's both ends of that. So 
you, Miss Stephanie, you're being that already when you write this journal and all these young women who have wrestled with infertility. See, you actually understand that pain. Now, I can sympathize, but I can't empathize because I've never been through there. So you can be a godmother to these uh, younger women who are going through this same struggle. And to be a godmother, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know more in that area mm-hmm. than what the other person needs. You know, so like, I, and we're going to need many. We're going to need many. So I have many, I would say I have many goddaughters. I have some that are really young. I have two young girls that don't have a grandmother in their life. And their mother said, uh, we're hosting a dinner at house. And she said, can I bring my two girls? And she said, Lisa, they, they pretend you're their grandmother. And so I said, absolutely. So they're like 12 and 15. I'm like, yes, bring them 12 and 15. That's just beautiful. But I've asked this, this particular mother, she told me, you're my godmother. You're my godmother. You've been my godmother ever since I read Lioness Arising. You're, you're that woman that I come to and she can pick up the phone and she can call me at any time. So I have, my, I carry daughters in my heart. And the reason why I do that is because of what we are already talking about. I never had it. I never had anybody carry me in their heart. I never had anybody that saw what was on my life and said, wow, okay, I'm going to come alongside her and I'm going to bless her and I'm going to help her know how to do marriage and kids. I had a lot of critics. I had a lot of women like, why are your ears double pierced? I had a lot of women that were like, oh, you know, oh, you always lose weight after the first baby. Good luck after your second. I mean, stupid, stupid, saying stupid things because they felt so unworthy in their own life. And I remember crying out to God and said, if you want me to minister to women, you've got to send me a woman who will minister to me. And that woman never came. And eight years into my marriage, I'm pregnant with my third son. And God said, Lisa, that woman's not going to be there for you. But I want you to be that woman. And I said, this is a joke. Like, wait, no, no. Divorced parents don't really even like women. Uh-uh, this is not going to work for me. And he said, oh, yeah, baby girl, everything you wish another woman would have been for you. Just begin to be it. Write it backwards. And there's going to be a lot of us that we're going to write it backwards because there's been a lot of brokenness and there's been a lot of gaps. But everything changes when one generation says, you know what? It's sad. It's sad nobody did it for me, but that's not going to stop me from being that for other people. And that is real strength. That's where real strength comes in. When you take a broken place in your life and you make it beautiful for somebody else, that is real strength. And too many people just look at my beautiful world, look at my beautiful life. I want to see your broken places that you've made beautiful. And, you know, every single time I look at my grandkids or I look at my sons and their beautiful wives, all I see is the redemption and the faithfulness of God. And so I think we need women who have God connections. We need mothers, but you can be a 15-year-old pouring into a 12-year-old and you can be a 40-year-old pouring into a 25, 30-year-old. You can be an 80-year-old pouring into everybody. You know, it was shocking to me that the demographic who reads my books is number one, 24 to 35. And that's because they're looking for a mom. My boys are that age group. And it just blesses me. Do we, I love everything about that. I like, feel like I just need to like stop and I'm going to have to rewind and listen again. If there's 
a woman that we've kind of identified, you know, in our church or in our community or whatever, like, how does that conversation go where we say, hey, like, is, I mean, is it sort of, you said it needs to be intentional. So not just sort of like. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up. Well, first and foremost, I do have young women that'll come to me and, and, and this is how they'll appeal to me. Like they'll say, I need help. I have, I need help and I don't know who to go to. Or I, I look at your kids and all four of your boys love God and are working in the ministry. I, I want that. Can you help me? Uh, or we want your marriage. And then, you know, just tell the older woman, you know, she doesn't have to do a 13 week Bible study with you. Just say, I just, I wanted to do life with you. Could we just do coffee? Could, you know, could we, could, could my husband and I hang out with you and your husband? Could we do this? And you know what? It could be that she'll say no. It could be she'll say that. But if somebody says no, don't you dare stop. Don't you dare stop. You just turn your head and you go to the next person and, and just look for it. Or um, a lot of these young girls, like, <clears throat> like I took a lot of time in the Godmother's book answering questions. I One day I said, hey, if you and I had an hour together at, for coffee, what would we talk about? And I had over 600 questions come in. And, you know, they were everything from marriage to ministry to book writing to parenting. And, you know, some of the things I could answer, but some of the questions were really hard and, and I didn't have an answer for them. And so that's kind of why it's important that we get people, you know, that can come around. So like they say, you know, what do I do after a divorce? Well, I've never been divorced. So I can talk to them in theory. I can tell them what I've learned from my friends, but that that's why I need other women to step up. So we need the older women to step up. And, you know, if, if you've got some older women or maybe they're 35 and saying, gosh, I remember it was so hard when I had a brand new baby. I wish somebody would have told me this. Then just tell them that they can actually just be, just talk to a young mom. How, how are you doing? I think something the older women can say, um, I had a young girl reach out to me recently. She was like, oh my gosh, I'm in Colorado Springs. Is there any chance we could ever go to coffee? And I said, absolutely. And I said, I can meet you Thursday at 8 a.m. in the morning. And she said, can I bring my friend? I said, absolutely. And so we, we showed up because here in Colorado, we, we were kind of, we weren't doing the mass things mandatory yet at that point. And we're sitting and I just looked at them, you know, heard a little bit about them. And then I just said, how can I serve you? How can I help you? And that's kind of the question a godmother needs to ask. And then when, when you look at the whole Cinderella story, the fairy godmother, which I wish, you know, wouldn't that be great if we had magic? Yes. But the fairy godmother, she actually revealed what Cinderella had been weaving. Cinderella had been weaving a beautiful garment through kindness and goodness and consistency. She tended the pumpkin and that became her carriage. She had rescued the rat and the mice. And all of these things became this ability of like her kindness and goodness in secret served her well in a public appearance. And then the godmother gave her the glass slipper. And the glass slipper is the only thing that didn't turn back to the original. And that I think is kind of this marker that all of us have on our life that says, hey, there is a prince. He is going to touch your life. You have been elevated. You're not of this world. You're passing through. And that that glass sliver became her identifier. She had one and he had one and that's how he found her. So I love this idea of God elevating his women and saying, okay, look, 
everything that's been yucky, everything that you're thinking, oh, when I get this, I'll have, be happy or I'll get that. We're all learning how miserable so many celebrities are. Yeah. That's because obviously the marvelous is, I mean, uh, not obviously, I don't mean to say that. Uh, usually the marvelous is found in the mundane, in the stewardship of what we do when nobody's looking. And then it's revealed openly later. So yeah, I think I think that's what godmothers would teach them and say, hey, this is what I found. Be faithful with that which is little. Be faithful with that which is another person's. And God will give you your own. Lisa, as, I mean, you really are a godmother to so many of us, even if it's from afar, like even if it's it's through, you know, listening to your podcast or hearing you speak or reading one of your books. For, for women, the women who are listening who are my age, like, What's just one thing that you know that we need to hear from a godmother? Yeah. Well, I've never seen a generation under so much pressure to perform. And I would say I release that pressure off of your lives. Just live well in private and don't feel like your um, world should be opened up to too many people. I, I feel like right now your generation has almost no boundaries. And there's people that don't have the right to have voice in your lives. So I've learned that there's different layers of relationship. Number one, there are your transformational relationships. Those are the people that are for you. They're for your growth. They're like, hey, I want to see you become the best person God created you to be. They're not usually your social media fans. They're your, they're your family, they're your husband, they're your close friends. And then you have people that are like in your room. They're in your room when it's popular and they're, when the clap, crowds are clapping, they're in the room, but they're going to leave if it's to their benefit. Doesn't make them bad, but I get hurt when I mistake my transformational relationships for my in the room relationships, which I would call transactional. So they're only there if I can do something for them or if I can open, you know, open an opportunity or whatever is to their benefit. So not to mix those things and spend more time with your face-to-face friends than your time on your screen. We have, we have dropped our heads to something we can hold in our hands. And God is saying it's time for your generation to lift your eyes. I feel like the enemy wants to distract this generation because there is something so beautiful and so God breathed on them. He wants them looking down instead of lifting their heads. I believe that your generation a lot of times is frozen because they don't know what they're called to do. And I believe that's because they're called to do something that's never been done before. And when you're called to do something that's never been done before, you cannot be so distracted by what everybody else is doing. You've just got to lean into the greater things. There's a reason why. God told Abraham, get outside the tent and look at the stars. Oh gosh, I love everything about that. I'm so, I mean, everyone can't see me, but as you were talking, I just like had my eyes closed. I'm like, yes, thank you. I just, we need those words. Yeah. This is just like last, but absolutely not least. As our godmother, Lisa, would you just pray for us? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, I come before you. And Father, I just thank you that your promise says, that whenever we call, you answer. And Father, even before we call, you're actually preparing great and mighty things that we know not of. Father, this is a time where we're saying we don't, we don't know what is next. 
but God, you do. And Father, we thank you that you've made a way where there seems to be no way. So Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see up close what other generations have only seen in the distance. Father, I thank you that you would give us a bold voice to speak out loud what other generations only dared to whisper. Father, I thank you that we will lay hold of with our hands what other generations only touched in prayer. Father, I thank you that this is the season for signs and wonders and miracles and begin uh, begin that with our own lives. Let us be a miracle of your remaking in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. It's been my privilege. You guys, isn't Lisa amazing? There were so many times when I was just bowled over by God's truth and His love as she talked. Game-changing, right? Now, don't forget, if you ever want to find the links for anything we talk about in our Girls' Night episodes, you can always find those over in our show notes. If you head over to girlsnightpodcast.com, you'll find the links for everything, including links for Lisa, so you guys can pick up her latest book and follow along with all the great stuff she's doing. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode, but we have so much good stuff ahead this season. And with that in mind, now is the perfect time to make sure you're subscribed. Subscribing to the show is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. I won't send you an email or anything. It just makes sure your phone downloads the latest episode when a new one's released. And I did want to take a quick second to ask you guys a favor. If you enjoyed this episode or if you've been a Girls' Night listener for a while now, would you please take a quick second to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes? Those reviews help out our podcast so much and it really would mean the world to me. So if you would take two quick seconds to do that, I'd be so grateful. Friends, thank you so much for joining me for Girls' Night and I will see you next week.